Good morning, church, and happy Sabbath. Thank you for joining us. I think this is capacity crowd this morning. I don't know that I've ever seen as many people here in one time. I want to tell you that today we are continuing a seminar presentation that has, we've been laying a foundation for for the last three weeks. And for those of you that may be joining us for the first time this morning, just keep in mind that there are maybe some things that you may not have been prepared for if you haven't attended any of our other sessions. But before we launch into that, I do want to ask that if you have registered for our seminar and you are, you've been attending night by night, I would like to ask that at some point today, either this afternoon or this evening, that you register with uh, Roger or Jerry or... or um, Donna, but let them know that there would be a time that you could come and visit with Pastor Rodney and myself to just give us some feedback on what your experience of the seminar has been like. They have clipboards and they'd be happy to sign you up. Please try to see them and schedule a time to come and see us. Let me give you a schedule of our topics we have. This evening, we're going to be looking at Revelation 12, Why So Many Denominations. That's this evening. And tomorrow night, we're going to cover Revelation 17, The Scarlet Woman. <clears throat> and then on Tuesday night, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at the gift of tongues, the gift of uh, healing. I think we talk a little bit about uh, discernment and other spiritual gifts, but we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at the gift of prophecy. Wednesday night, we cover the Bible's health principles. And if you follow these, uh, <clears throat> statistics show that people that do uh, live between 7 to 11 years longer than the average American. And then, of course, Friday evening, we're going to be looking at cleanse from the inside out, how to avoid some of the most, uh, the common dangers that Christians face in their daily Christian walk. But today, we're going to talk about the mark of the beast. And before we launch into this subject, as has been our custom in the evening presentations, I'd like to ask you to just bow your heads with me as we have a short word of prayer. Father in heaven, as we open your word today, I do ask that your Holy Spirit would be here. I pray that we would understand this truth, that not only would it help us to be faithful today, but it would help us to be faithful in the times to come. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you were with us on our third presentation, we covered this simple fact. The mark of the beast is not the number 666 tattooed in the forehead. And if you weren't here and would like some further clarification on that, we do have handouts uh, from our third subject called the Mark of the Beast issue that will clarify that. To begin our presentation today, I want to read to you a quote from a famous Christian author. Some of you may recognize the name C.S. Lewis. Some of you younger ones in here may have never heard of him. But if you've ever heard of the series of books or there's a movie series called The Chronicles of Narnia, he is the author of those. C.S. Lewis is a Christian apologist. He's also a philosopher. And here's an interesting statement from him. He says, you never, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood become a matter of life and death to you. So let me just read that one more time. <clears throat> you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood become a matter of life and death to you. Now, 
some of you may be struggling to wrap your, your mind around this idea, but let me see if I can illustrate this for you. What, what C.S. Lewis is in essence saying is, you don't really know how committed you are to a belief until you're tested on that belief in a form of, of a life and death test. Let me give you an example in the Bible. Some of you would say unequivocally that God wants us to obey His will. Could we say amen to that? Is that something we could agree with? Can you say amen to that? Okay, God wants us to obey His will. But what if obeying God's will required you to sacrifice your only child? For those of you that are parents in here, this takes on a new dimension. Because the point is, you don't know how much you really believe something until that thing becomes a matter of life or death. If I asked you, how many of you believe that prayer is important? I think everybody would say, yeah, I believe in prayer. What if prayer would get you thrown into a den of hungry lions? That's when you really begin to see how much you believe that prayer is important. Am I making sense this morning? Okay. The other example I could use from the Bible is if I said to you, how many of you believe that it's wrong to worship idols? I think everyone say, yeah, I think that's wrong. What if not worshiping idols would get you thrown into a burning furnace, burned alive? This is where we begin to understand that sometimes it's only through a life or death test that we become aware of how committed we really are to a particular truth. Does that make sense? The mark of the beast is such a test. Please note what the Bible says. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and, what's the next word there? Cause, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be what? Now notice that this crisis at the end of time is a life or death test. The Bible says that he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. Here is where we talk about the mark of the beast. Today I want to tell you that the Bible describes an end time scenario where the world is divided, or I should say polarized, into distinct groups. Notice how the Bible describes them. Revelation 14.9 has this description. Notice what it says. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, here is a solemn pronouncement, and this pronouncement is put upon those who receive the mark of the beast. There it is, right there in Revelation 14, 9 through 11. But there's another group, and here's how they're described. And, as, and I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. Here is a group that do not receive the mark. It says they gain the victory over the mark 
And that's how scripture describes the earth in the last days. It simply says, these are those that receive the mark, here are those that do not. In other words, there is no spiritual Switzerland, there's nobody that's neutral. The world is polarized because of this issue into two distinct groups. Now, in our presentation um, on our third evening, we talked about the mark of the beast as being a symbolic beast. Well, today we're going to pick up with that theme because when we say that there is a beast who gives a mark, most people know it's not an animal that we're, we're afraid of. In Bible prophecy, a beast represents a political power or a kingdom. The question is, what are the characteristics? How can we identify this beast power? The Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 1, speaking of the beast that gives the mark, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of what, everybody? Blasphemy. Now, there's a clue. We'll keep going. The beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his what? Now, the Greek word for seat is the Greek word thronos. It's where we get our English word throne. And that's just a clue about the identity of this beast, but we'll keep going. And great authority. And I saw one of its heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things, and what? Blasphemy is another clue. Power was given him to continue how many months? 42 months. Let's keep going. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And then verse 18 says, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. And his number is 603 score and six. Now, just as a way of review so that we're all on the same page, a score is 20, three score is 60, so we have 666, so there it is. So what I want to do for you is I want to list these clues about the identity of the beast that gives this mark, and I want you to notice that number one, it's a political power, it's a beast, it comes up out of the sea. In Bible prophecy, the sea is a place with lots of people. Revelation 17, 15 says it's multitudes, nations, and tongues, and so we get the idea that this is a power that arises out of an area in the world that's populous. Not only that, he has on his forehead the name of blasphemy. It's a clue that this is a power that is not just political, but it is religious as well. The dragon gives him his seat. Now, the word seat, as I mentioned, is Greek word thronos, throne. So we get a clue, like he inherits his throne from this power called the dragon. We'll identify that a little bit later. He rules for 42 months. And if you've been attending the seminar, one of the things we pointed out is that in Bible prophecy, they used their, their calendar, used a lunar calendar, meaning every month had exactly 30 days. So 42 months is 1260 days, okay? He asks for worship, and then he's marked by this number 666. Now, I want you to notice that there are seven, lists, seven points on the screen. I, there are more. In Revelation 13, if you really are, are a, a diligent student, you can probably find three or four more points just for our study today. It's, these are enough to really identify this power without any shadow of a doubt. And if you've been with us, uh, one of the things that we've sought to do is to try to help you see what the Bible teaches 
and really show you the proof of that, there's only one power that fits all seven marks of identity, and that would, of course, be the Roman papacy. Now, as I say this to you, I, I, I want to make it clear that we're not in any way disparaging people who attend the Catholic Church, but rather we're trying to highlight this system that has existed for centuries. And make no mistake, when we look at the characteristics, the papacy is a political entity. You know, it has a seat unlike any other church at the United Nations. Um, it did arise in the old world, right? Not only that, it does have religious characteristics. And, you know, the Bible said specifically he would speak blasphemies. If in our earlier presentations we covered that claiming to be God, claiming to forgive sins, these are the characteristics of blasphemy. Not only that, he would receive his seat from this power called the dragon. Now, in Revelation 12, the Bible tells us a little bit about this dragon who gives his seat to the, this, this uh, new beast in Revelation 13. I want to just read for you a little bit about him. There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Now, please look closely. And the dragon stood before the who? The woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her what? Her child as soon as it was born. Here this dragon wants to devour this woman's child. Now, who is that child? And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now, folks, I think most of us know there was only one child that was ever born that was destined to rule all nations with a rod of iron that was caught up to God and to his throne. That is none other than who? It's Jesus. So here we have Jesus, and the Bible gives us the idea that before Christ was born, or I should say when Christ was born, there would be an attempt made on his life. Now, if we look at history, was that true? Was there an attempt made on Jesus' life when he was born? Is that true? There was. And we know that when we look at history, that was King Herod. That was not, that was the, the instrument that Satan used. Really, Satan was behind it, but it was the instrument that Satan used to try to kill Jesus as he was born. Now, please understand that when we look at that, we look at the dragon primarily as Satan. Satan is, you know, really the power behind it. But when we look at it in a practical way, we could say that, yes, in Revelation 12, it was primarily Satan, but in a secondary sense, we could apply it to pagan Rome because that was the instrument, that was the practical uh, uh, handle that Satan used to try to accomplish his goal. And if we apply it that way, then it makes sense that from pagan Rome, papal Rome would receive its throne. And that's true. History says that from to the succession of the Caesars came the succession of the pontiffs, pontiffs simply being another term for pope. Now, is it true that the papacy ruled as a political religious entity for 42 months? Well, if you've been with us, we learned in our earlier studies that in Bible prophecy, one day equals one year, which means that this power would rule for 1,260 years. That political power, it was a church before, but that political uh, religious power began in the year 538, and exactly 1,260 years later, it would lose that political power. It still continued as a church entity. Now, does this power ask for worship? It's no secret in their claims to be God's representatives on earth. There are those that view them as a deity being worthy of prayer and worship. Now, the Bible says that he is characterized by the number 666. I want you to look at verse 18 again, and please note how the Bible describes this. Here is wisdom. 
Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a what? It's the number of a man. Let's move forward. Let's go back one verse. That no man might buy or sell save he that hath the mark or the name of the beast or the what? Number of his name. So let's put those two things together. The number 666, the Bible says, it's the number of a man and it's the number of his name. So when we put that together, we know that we're talking about the papacy. And the papacy is a Latin power. Latin is one of the few languages where letters have numerical value. Like in sixth grade, I think we, at least when I was going to public school in New Jersey, we had to learn Roman numerals. Like I is one, V is five, C is, D is 500. Okay, got kind of quiet there at the end, but anyway, okay. So you get the idea that if it's a Roman power and they use Latin, then it makes sense that the number of his name would have a numerical value. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, there's more than one way you can do this, but I'm going to do it in a simple way. So the title that they take as the representatives of God on earth is vicarious philidae. So the vicar of God's son. That's what this expression means. Now, as I said, it happens with more than one name, but... I'm going to use this one. Now, there would be almost no reason unless the language implied it to apply numerical values. But this is Latin, remember? And so we begin to add the numerical values. And lo and behold, when you do that, you end up with the number 666. Over the years, I've had guests come to me so many times. And they have said things like, hey, does Ronald Reagan, you know, his, his name means 666 too. No, actually it doesn't. Ronald Wilson Reagan had six letters in each of his names, but that doesn't mean that he's the beast. Are you with me? Okay. And um, some of you might be sitting here doodling while while I'm preaching and you might be adding up your name and you might be surprised to know that your name adds up to 666. (laughs) But don't worry because even if it did, and I hope it doesn't, but even if it did, uh, that doesn't mean that you're the beast power here that's giving the mark. Okay, so we'll put that to rest. Having said that, Daniel's description of this same power is found in Daniel 7. And in our seminar, we made it clear that these identifying marks are really impossible to apply to any other power except the papacy. Now, once we've discovered who the beast is that gives the mark, all we have to do is ask, well, what is the mark of the beast? Or what is the mark of the papacy? To answer that, before we really give that explanation, I just want to make it clear. In Revelation 13, the beast is not a literal beast, okay? And the image that people are asked to worship is not a literal image. The name of the beast is also symbolic. The number is symbolic. And let me just point out something. I should have said this earlier. I had a chance once before, but I forgot. Okay, so the the number 666, we, we already said, you know, there's... It's the number of his name. But for those of you that are familiar, Bible numerology is a real study. So like numbers in the Bible, like the number seven is like a number that means completion or perfection, okay? And like numbers like six in the Bible, the number six is often associated with man. Like in fact, it says it's the number of a man, right? But the number six is first associated with man at creation because man was made on the sixth day. And 
If you go through the Bible, you'll see again and again, like this number six is connected to man and his imperfection. The number three, however, is often associated with the deity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So three sixes is simply a man trying to copy or counterfeit deity. Does that make sense? Okay, so the seal is also symbolic. It's not a literal seal, which would imply that the mark is not a mark that you can see. It's not a literal mark, okay? It's not a chip, but it's symbolic of something. So let's discover what the Bible gives us as clues about this mark. Number one, in verse 16 of Revelation 13, it says, He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or, the, or in their what? So if I asked you, according to the Bible, where are the two places, or I should say, what are the two options where the mark of the beast could be placed? You would say it, go, it could go either in the hand or the forehead. Now, I think if you were joining us for the seminar, one night I shared with you this statistic that the book of Revelation has 404 verses, 276 borrow language from the Old Testament. Now, this is one of those verses. Did you note that the Bible specifically says that something was to go in the hand or in the forehead? Well, that borrows language from the book of Exodus. Look closely. God said to his people, and it shall be for a what? Sign. It's kind of like the word mark, okay? Unto thee upon thy where? Upon thy hand and for a memorial where? Between your eyes. What's between your eyes? Don't, don't, don't say nose. I have to keep saying it. Your forehead, right? That the Lord's what? Law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Now please note, to ancient Israel, God said to his people, I want you to have my law in what two places? Where? On your hand and your forehead. Now what God meant, see in the Bible, your hand represents your actions. And your forehead represents where you make decisions about right or wrong, okay? And so what God was saying to his people was, I want you to meditate on my law, and then I want you to do it. But the problem is that the, the Jews, they, over time, they lost sight of the spiritual significance, and they literally began sewing these cloths that had the Ten Commandments written on them. And so in Jesus' day, they made these big pieces of cloth that were visibly the Ten Commandments sewn to their sleeve and wrapped around their forehead. And Jesus called, like he rebuked them for their phylacteries. Now, that's what it was. And that literal practice is still being done today. If you go to any Orthodox Jewish believer's home, you'll notice that there'll be a little plastic, like a little plastic encased scroll of paper screwed to the wall. That's because God also said, you know, when you come into your gate, when you go out, you should meditate on my law. And so they put it there. Now, you understand that over time, that would lose its significance. People would just forget, right? What God really wanted was he wanted the people to obey. From, they, he wanted them to meditate and obey and do it. That's what he wanted them to do. But they lost sight of that. This tells me that whatever the mark of the beast is, it must be in opposition to God's law. Why? Because it's designated to go in the very same place. Did you notice that the mark of the beast can either go in the forehead or in the? And God wanted his people to have his law where? In the forehead and in the hand. Does that make sense? There's another way we could arrive at that same conclusion. 
I want you to notice that we've read this passage earlier, but now I want you to see if you can find two groups. What did I say? Two what? Two groups. Okay, let's notice. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Then it says, here is the patience of what group of people? The saints, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, please note, in these four verses, we have a description. The Bible describes the fate of those that receive the what? The mark of the beast. And then right after that, it says, wait, here are the saints. Here are they who keep the what? The commandments. Now, did you note that the people who do not receive the mark of the beast, they are described as keeping the commandments. Does that make sense? It's in stark contrast to those who receive the mark of the beast. So, conclusion number one, whatever the mark of the beast is, it's in opposition to God's law. Clue number two, and after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the what? of the living God. Now notice what the angel does with this seal. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God, where in there? Now please note that we have another thing in the book of Revelation that goes where in the forehead. But what is this thing that God wants to put? It's called the seal of the living God. Now, in the Bible, the expression, the living God, it denotes a certain characteristic about God. This is in Acts 14, 15. Please note what it says. And saying, sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the who? To the living God. Now, notice what's different about the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. The living God, according to the Bible, is the what? He's the creator. Now, please, let's put this together. The angel has the seal of the living God or the seal of the creator. And I want you to know that in Scripture, the word seal is synonymous with another word. Notice what it says, speaking of Abraham. And he received the what? Sign of circumcision. It was a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had. I won't finish the rest of the verse, but suffice it to say, and I think most of us know this just from the way that these words are used, a sign, a seal, these things are synonymous. In the Bible, not once, not twice, four times, the Bible calls the Sabbath God's seal. Here are the references, and we've read this Exodus 31 verse 13 before. Um, I'll read it again. Speak thou unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a what? It's a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that sanctify you. And then in the same chapter in verse 17, there's another sign, uh, another thing that it's a sign of. 
Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Here the Bible describes the Sabbath as a sign of creation. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12 and verse 20 say the same thing. It is a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. So from that we can say this. Not only is the mark of the beast in opposition to God's law, it goes in the same places, but it's a counterfeit of whatever God's seal is, which is the Sabbath, because it also goes directly in the forehead. That's clue number two. Now, clue number three is we're going to see some passages that describe the people who receive the mark of the beast. And what you're going to see is when we read about them, Everybody that receives the mark, they're doing something. See if you can highlight that one word that describes this, this activity that is part, part and parcel with those that receive the mark. Revelation 16, verse 2. And the first went, And poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the what? The mark of the beast, and, them, and upon them which worshipped his image. That's the first verse. Here's the next one. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. Here's Revelation 19.20. Oh, wait, no, sorry. This is the rest of the verse. These, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Okay, here's the third reference. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, three references. Everybody, in all of those references, they describe people that receive the mark of the beast. But did you notice that everyone that receives the mark of the beast, they're doing something. What are they doing? They are worshipping. So whatever the mark of the beast is, not only is it an opposition to God's law, because it goes in the same place, not only is it a counterfeit of God's seal, which is the Sabbath, but whatever it is, it involves some form of worship. Now, if you asked me today, if you said to me, hey, preacher, is there anybody right now that has the mark of the beast? I would say 100% absolutely no. Okay, so I want to be clear. I'm going to say this one more time. If you ask me today, is there anybody alive on planet Earth that has the mark of the beast? I would say 100% emphatically, no, there is not. Why? Because there's one more thing you need to have in order to have it be the mark of the beast. Notice Revelation 13, 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and, what's the next word? cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, let's review. What does a beast represent in Bible prophecy? What does it represent? Kingdom, political power, right? How does a political power, how does a nation force people to do something? How do they do that? By making laws, which means whatever the mark of the beast is, it has to be enforced by a government involving laws, okay? Whatever the mark of the beast is, it requires a civil government enforcing this with laws. So not only is the mark of the beast in opposition to God's law, it goes in the same place, not only is it a counterfeit of God's seal the Sabbath, not only does it involve worship, but whatever the mark of the beast is, it involves a government to enforce it, okay? When you look at the Ten Commandments, it's not hard to decide. Which of these has the papacy counterfeited and has sought 
to confuse people through tradition and has made efforts to enforce these things by law? It's not hard to know because do you know that there is nothing new? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9, the thing which hath been is that which shall be and there is no new thing under the sun. You see, the mark of the beast according to all those four characteristics is Sunday worship enforced by government law. And you know that existed before. Uh, There was a Sunday law in times past and guess what? there is still an undercurrent in Roman Catholic teaching or dogma that says that civil authorities should help church members by enforcing the religious observance of Sunday. I have two quotes from the catechism. But some of you may be struggling to think, like, how could this ever happen? Well, I have a good friend of mine that is right now doing a series of meetings in New Orleans, or as they say down there, New Orleans, okay? And he's down there, and do you remember when Hurricane Katrina hit? I don't know if some of you remember that when that storm hit, there were some evangelical leaders that said, hey, these are the judgments of God, and we need to get back to God, okay? Now, those voices got drowned out, but have you noticed that every time we have a major disaster, whether it be natural or, you know, a shooting of some sort, there are some voices that will speak up and say, you know, we need to get this nation back to God. Now, I want you to think for a moment. How do you get a nation with over 200 different denominations, how do you get them to all show some kind of solidarity when it comes to, like, religious practice? Well, you know, it just so happens that the majority of them all agree that going to church is a good thing, and they all happen to go to church on pretty much the same day, which is Sunday. Now, you know, when the Bible speaks about the way that it will be enforced, the details are quite clear. It says that no man might what? Buy or sell, which means there will be economic pressure to comply. Let let me explain something. Did you notice that in Revelation 13, 16, it says he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their their right hand or, now that's the key, or. You don't receive the mark of the beast in two places. You only receive it in one of two places. Now, why is that? Well, let me explain. You see, when these crises begin to mount and more and more people are saying, hey, look, we need to get this nation back to God. There will be some people that say, yeah, I agree with that. I think that we should legislate morality because look at all the things, these horrible things that are happening in our society today. Let's get the nation back to God and let's make it law. Symbolically speaking, there are those that would agree with the concept of the mark of the beast. These are represented symbolically as receiving the mark in the forehead. But then there will be some that maybe they attended a seminar like this. Maybe they've heard about what the Bible teaches, and they say, you know, that's not biblical. But they're like the average American. The average American today has a mortgage payment, car payments, student loans. Some have like gambling debts and other types of, you know, debt obligations. And when you have that kind of pressure, because if you can't buy or sell and you suddenly face to lose your car, your home, you know, and all these other things, suddenly some people will say, yeah, you know what? Even though I know it's wrong, I'm just going to go along with it because I can't lose everything. These people are represented as those that receive the mark in the hand, 
They don't agree, but they comply by action. Now, I want to tell you that the Bible gives us a clue, or it gives us hope. And I want to read to you Jeremiah 12, verse 5. It says, if thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? Did you know that in ancient Israel, one soldier, one, just one, he could wear armor, carry a sword, a shield, have a short sword, and when you put all of those things together, scholars say it could have weighed up to 200 pounds. Now, I'm not strong at all, as you can see, <laughs> but the, the truth is that when I go to the gym I, and I do squat on squat day, I, I squat like for exercise, I'm squatting about 200 pounds, okay? But I'll tell you that when I have 200 pounds on my back, I can't run anywhere. I can't hardly move, okay? So the verse is giving this clue. It's saying, look, if, if, you're, if you can't stay up to pace right now with the foot soldiers, when the enemy unleashes the cavalry, you're going to be in real trouble. Did you know that in ancient Israel, God had asked his people to cross the Jordan? There were times when it was still, you know, <clears throat> but there were times when it was angry, it was swollen. And see, what God is saying in, these, in this verse is, he's saying, look, if you can't be faithful in the little tests, what makes you think that you're going to be faithful when things get even harder? You know, one of the biggest deceptions that people face when they learn about the mark of the beast, I've had people say something like this to me. They've actually said, you know, thanks for telling me. Now that I know what it is, I'm not going to get it. It doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. I'll tell you a sh short story. When I was in college, there was a gym behind the dormitory and it was just designed so that if people started working out, they wouldn't disturb anybody who was studying. And I remember one day between lunch and work, I decided I'm going to just go in and just work out really quick. And so I went in and there was nobody there. There were two unspoken rules about the gym. Number one, you don't work out alone. Number two, you always clean up after you're done. But when I went into the gym that day, the guy who had been using the bench press, he he left all the weight on the bar. And without paying attention, I looked at it and I thought, I think I can do that. So I got under the bar and I got it off. But when I let it down, I realized this is way too heavy. It came crashing down. I think that it was like 250 or 260, somewhere in that vicinity, and it was a lot. And I didn't weigh much more then than I did now. In fact, I weighed less. And so I was struggling. And I remember thinking to myself, like, there are some things that you can do to get it off, but I didn't know that back then. I was literally stuck. And I knew nobody would show up in that gym for like five, six hours. I was just going to be stranded. And all I could do, my mind wasn't even working. All I was trying to do was like offset the weights. So I was still pushing up as hard as I could. And then my left arm, which is weaker than my right arm, it started giving way. And I heard something beautiful because as my left arm tilted, I heard the sound of the plates on the end sliding off <laughs> because the guy didn't put the collars on it. 
And so all the weights slid off. One, two, three, plates were flying off. As soon as they flew off, I got free because the bar flipped over the other way and I got out. But man, I tell you, after that, I learned an important lesson. If you want to bench 250 pounds, you better be able to do 135 first. And go up to 145 and then 155 and on. Now, we laugh, but the truth is that many spiritually are making the same mistake. They think, oh, when that crisis comes, I'm going to be a super, super Christian. I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm... But today, they can't even tell their boss, boss, from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, I can't work anymore. They can't even do that. And they think that when it becomes a life and death issue, they somehow think that they're going to have the moral courage to stand up for what's right. There are some people here today, they have been wronged by people from their past and they can't even forgive and you think that when it's a life and death issue suddenly you're going to become a spiritual superhero folks i want to challenge you today right now to ask yourself to think seriously because right now we have an opportunity to live for jesus but for some people, it's a person that's keeping them. They're saying, you know what? I would do this, but my spouse or fill in the blank, my boyfriend, my girl, whatever. For some people, it may be, hey, this, this job that I have, I, I can't possibly sacrifice this job, which is a great job. I can't possibly sacrifice this. Folks, if you are right now running and, and things are calm and you can't keep up, the Jordan right now, it's just calm. And God is saying, put your foot in. But if you can't put your foot in now, friends, what makes you think that when it's angry and swollen, that suddenly you're going to step out in faith and say, God, I trust you now. I want to ask Janine to sing a song for you. This song underscores this truth. We owe Jesus our lives because he has done everything for us. And friends, if you owe Jesus your life, wouldn't it make sense that today, we should make an unreserved surrender to him with all that we have. Listen as Janine sings, and after she does, I'm going to ask you to make a decision for Jesus.
my associates to pass out a card that looks like this for you today. And when you get the card, I'm just going to ask you to take a pen, and if you would, just write your name on the card. There are five points here that I want to ask you to just follow along as I read them. And please, just make sure that you have um, your name written on the card. But as you receive the card, there are five points here, and I'm just going to ask you to just follow along as I go through these points. The first one says, I choose to be sealed by the Holy Spirit and have God's law written in my heart. I'm praying that every one of you can say by faith, yes, Lord, this is my decision. I want to have the Holy Spirit seal God's law in my heart. And if so, please put a check by that first one. The second one says, I choose not to worship the beast, receive its mark, or follow any pagan traditions. Now, in the seminar, we've been talking a little bit about that, and if you have understood the importance of following the Bible and following Jesus, and you want to come out from those pagan practices, please check that second one. The third one says, I choose to keep the seventh day Sabbath and to worship him that made heaven and earth. We've talked about the Sabbath. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to make a commitment, to make a decision to begin keeping it. I've talked with some of you. Some of you said, you know what? I have been keeping the Sabbath, but there are some that it's new. And yet today we have an opportunity to either reaffirm or to affirm our decision to follow Jesus' example who also kept the Sabbath which was instituted from creation as a memorial of God's creative power. The fourth one says, I choose to be among the saints who love Jesus and keep his commandments. I hope everyone can say, yes, Jesus, help me to be among that group. The fifth one says, I'd like a personal visit. Some of my guests have had questions about topics we've covered in the seminar. Maybe you're having a struggle. Maybe there's something that you're facing that keeps you from following Jesus. And maybe you'd like to visit with Pastor Rodney and myself. Please, if you do put, check that one, make sure to put your phone number so we can get in touch with you and arrange a time when we could meet. When you're done with that, would you be so kind as to just turn it upside down, pass it into the center of the aisle, wherever you are, just pass it into the center. As my colleagues come by to pick this up, Janine is gonna sing and finish this song for us. Thank you, Janine. <clears throat>
thank you for all that you've done. And I pray that in exchange, we can be faithful today in the little tests. Lord, for everyone here today that made a commitment to be more faithful to Jesus today, I pray that you would bless and seal that commitment and decision deep in their hearts. Thank you for the blessing of the Sabbath. Continue to be with us to this day, for we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.